Our favorite albums is supported by Complete Data Systems, retail software for independent retail stores. Get a free demo at retailprodemo.com. That is retailprodemo.com. Our Favorite Albums is a commentary, criticism, and music review podcast. All tunes are copyrighted and owned by the artist, not us. We just have to tell... (laughs) Motherfucker. We are just here to tell our opinions, which obviously are our own, and don't reflect any artist, a sponsor, or whatever. This is Our Favorite Albums. This is Michael with our favorite albums. This is a continuation of the conversation from the previous episode where we were running down our top five songs of all time. Once we got halfway through, we each did two songs and then Jason did his third song of all time. We realized that we were going to go way long. So we cut this in half. Uh, We join in progress from that conversation where we're running down my third top song of all time. And then we'll get into our ones and our number twos. Thanks so much. We'll join in progress with our favorite albums. Okay. Uh, Number three for me uh, is this this is going to be the most ridiculous uh, explanation ever. So uh, I was going to try to keep this under two hours. We're at an hour and a half so far. So hopefully I I get this done. Um, And and I have to say, before you say this, when you were talking about different songs that would be selected, this is absolutely... Like I know we've talked about this song before, but I did not see it making the list. Really? Yeah. I I knew the songs from this band were going to make the list, or at least one, but yeah. I didn't know it was going to be this one. Uh, so oddly enough, I have uh, three songs to go, and two of them are by the same band. And if you know me at all, then you're going to know that this is from Tool, uh, because Tool is my favorite band of all time. Uh, Tool's album Enema is my favorite album of all time. Uh, Danny Carey, the drummer of Tool, is my favorite musician of all time but there are three other people inside of uh inside of a tool uh that are absolute masters maynard james keenan to me is the most impressive vocalist that has ever been uh and he is also a winemaker which is crazy um and and i, I don't even know how to describe his entire persona uh, because he's he hates everything uh but he's very deep he's bald it, he is yeah he's very bold uh he's worn a mohawk at times He's worn a bra at times, <laughs> a lot of makeup. Uh, Adam, he and Adam, uh, he and Adam Jones met each other uh, through Green Jello. Did you know that? I did not know that, yeah, uh, but I do remember Green yeah. Jello. Little pig, little, little pig, pig, let me. Yeah. And how did the next part go? Not by the hair of my. No, chin. Went, I can't remember. <laughs> That's right. He went high. I forgot about that. Three Little Pigs by Green Jello, and then they got sued by that's a song. Jello. That's a song I've tried to forget. Thank you for bringing it back. And so they changed their name to Green Jelly. That's uh, right. But Adam Jones uh, was an art student, and he met Maynard James Keenan uh, through that uh, through that project, Green Jello slash Jelly, uh, and they put together my favorite band. Somehow Danny Carey came along. I think maybe they all lived in an apartment kind of close to each other. Uh, Justin Chancellor was uh, the bass player that came on after the recording of Enema. That's right. Uh, and has been with them ever since. This song, that's number three for me, is a song called 10,000 Days, Wings Part 2. Now then, uh, every Tool song has so much meaning that it ends up being a puzzle. This song 
is no exception. This is the ultimate puzzle. Maynard has talked about his mother, Judith Marie, who, when he was 11 years old, had an aneurysm, and half of her body was paralyzed. And she was an invalid. At 11 years old, he loved his mother. Uh, his parents were divorced. He grew up, I believe, in Ohio. His father was a coach in Michigan. And so his father lived away. And he lived with his mom. He, he loved his mom very much. And then she has this life-altering uh, aneurysm that renders her completely useless as a human. And he laments that. In addition to the fact that, and by the way, here's the puzzle. Okay, uh, He laments that in other songs regarding what he had gone through. The first one from the album Undertow in 1993 is a song called Prison Sex that is talking about sexual deviants who abuse their victims and the victims grow up and end up abusing people as Repeating well. Repeating the cycle. It constantly starts. Uh, Maynard was, from what we understand, uh, was a victim of abuse from his stepfather uh, who was looking for some sort of, I guess, sexual outlet after his wife had an aneurysm and was no longer whatever. Uh, in... Uh, 95 or 96, it would be 96 when Enema came out. Uh, the out, the song Jimmy, uh, talks specifically about, he was Maynard James Keenan, but Maynard is, is, is a, uh, is not his real name. His real name was James and he went by Jimmy. And he talks about at the age of 11, how things changed. He was 11 in 1976 when Judith had her aneurysm and his entire life changed. And she had to sit there and listen to her husband rape her son, which I, I don't even... <laughs> Man, how in the world do you even begin to put this type of story together? It's it's mind-boggling to me. Absolutely mind-boggling. It's a movie. I mean, it sounds like a movie. Sure, it it does. It sounds like a horror movie, right? Yeah, it's almost too... uh... There's there's too it, there's too much for it to be real. It seems like right. This yeah. is one of those truth is stranger than fiction yeah. kinds of stories. So so uh, Maynard, at some point, his mother sends him away to live with his father, uh, and his father, who's a coach, is very well grounded. Uh, he ends up making it through school and going and being in the military, which, by the way, is why Tool is called Tool because uh, you are a, a useful idiot or a tool when you're in the military. You're just a tool of the, the establishment. So that's, that's where that. that came from. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but 10,000 Days specifically refers to uh, 27 years. 10,000 Days is actually it's actually closer to 29 years, 29 and a half, if you get down to it, uh, which is a full rotation of Saturn around the sun. But this specifically was uh, Judith lived for about 27 years after she had her aneurysm. Gotcha. She, she never gave up on her religion. She was a deeply devoted religious person and Maynard is not he is the anti-religion he hates religion I was say he's almost antagonistic about it he was yeah. and, and he referred to it in the song Judith by a perfect circle we talked about a perfect mm-hmm. circle last time uh, in connection to failure uh, where the lyrics of Judith go you're such an inspiration for all the ways I would never ever choose to be Oh, so many ways for me to show you how your savior has abandoned you. Yeah, I remember that song. Which someone who loves his mother and watches her in a wheelchair, she can't move. That's got to be hard. But she never stopped going to church. She never gave up to to her faith. Right. This song, 10,000 Days, uh, is the third part of uh, of three movements. The first one being a song called Wings for Marie, where Maynard is in a hospital room. 
next to a hospital bed. After 10,000 days, his mother is finally dying. This is the eulogy for his mother. And it starts off, the day is starting to end. It's becoming nighttime. No one's there. It's just him and his mother who is finally dying after 27 years of being held captive in her body. Adam Jones on guitar. He's, he's such a fantastic guitar it's player. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And he always sounds... He's one of those guys that he sounds a certain way. You know it's him. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Not even just with his tone, but just the way he plays. Yeah. Like that... that his riffs are very structured in a very certain way. There's almost an arpeggio to it, uh, but he changes the notes, and so he's picking along whatever like weird chord that he's playing whatever bent up crooked chord that he's playing yeah he has his, his riffs are very unique yeah he always sounds like him once again yeah he's saying you believed in me he's whispering to his mother who's starting to die right now here's the deal that's not my number three song you're just giving us some backstory. That's Wings for Marie. Okay. Uh, Wings for Marie is six minutes and 11 songs. 11, six minutes and seconds. Seconds. Yeah. Uh, the very last track of, of that album, which, by the way, is also called 10,000 Days, uh, is, a, uh, is a Latin word, Vanity Trace, which is 23. Okay. Uh, this song is, n- it is only instrumental or sound. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to fast forward just a little bit, just so you can kind of get an idea of what's going on with Vainty Trace. Okay. It's like a science fiction soundtrack. It is. It's like a movie or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's one part uh, that goes into kind of a deep satanic sounding voice uh, that's a Latin quote from Nostradamus where he's talking about the number 23. Uh, 23 held some kind of mystic number. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, But that song is exactly five minutes and three seconds long where if you combine five minutes and three of Venti Trace and you combine Wings for Marie, the first song we played, which is six minutes and 11 seconds, then it is exactly 11 minutes and 14 seconds long which is the exact amount of time that my number three song of all time uh, falls in. That's 10,000 days. Wings for Marie starts off with him sitting by his mother's uh, hospital bed, telling her, you're dying. The day is starting to, to fold. 
fluorescent lights are dimming all, all around and I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do, mom. So as Wings for Marie ends and Vainty Trace starts, then we get into the actual eulogy for his mother, which is 10,000 Days, Wings Part 2. Justin Chancellor. Yeah. That, that once again, that's him. That's what he sounds like. Yeah. He is so good at that. I believe this song is a 9-8 time signature. Okay. So which is crazy that it's this way. Okay. Now, if you will stick with me, I, I know that this is deep. Just stick with no, me. No, no, no. Okay. I'm with you. I'm going to... I love Tool. They're absolutely one of my favorite bands as well, but I love them for a different reason than you do. How many times did you skip over this song? Many. Yeah. I, I like Tool for the other three guys in the band. I love the musicianship. That is, Maynard has a great voice, but I don't get into the lyrics like you do. Yeah. So what I'm hearing here is Justin Chancellor doing Justin Chancellor, which is playing this great riff, which is building up what is going to be a cool song. You know it's going to be. Yeah. hear the thunder I do this is in the middle of the night the fluorescent lights are beaming down on his mother's body and she is beginning the process of dying she's taking her last last breaths I've always liked how Maynard's vocals are mixed down in with the instruments yeah so he's not up above. It's not like he's out front. He's even. Oh, man. It's, it's so funny you say that. In concert, he doesn't play at the front of the stage. Right, he plays at the he, like he, back by the drums, right? He picks right? a dark corner in the back of the stage and sits back there, and that's where you sit. Usually, if you're at a Tool concert, you don't know where the fuck Maynard is because he's just back there in some corner. He says that's the headspace he's got to get into. He's got to get into the dark so he can get into these these crazy, deep, emotional songs that are so complex. I mean, we're talking about a song that has a 9-8 time signature. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, what I, what I love about it, though, is the fact that he's kind of put himself on an equal footing with everybody else in the band, whereas singers want to be out front. They want to be the first thing you hear. And he's just right there yeah. with everybody else, down in the mix, level. Yeah. So this is, he's at the point where his mother is about to die. And he's talking to her. And he's saying, all this time you've been religious. All this time, you had every reason to hate the person that you worship, the person that you deify. And now we're at this point where you're going to die and you're going to meet your maker. And I want to know, how am I supposed to handle this, mom? That's pretty profound. It's incredibly profound. He says... What are they going to do when the lights go down without you to guide them all to Zion? What are they going to do when the river's overrun other than tremble incessantly? High is the way, but all eyes are up on the ground. You were the light and the way that they'll only read about. So he's, I mean, he's praising his mother for her her standing with her faith for all these years. He's even. envious of it. Envious of what she has. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he is absolutely envious of the fact that he says at one point, as 
when we get down to the the um, the very end of the song, when his mother is about to die because he documents in music his mother's death after 27 years, after 10,000 days, he documents his mother's last breath. And he says to her, as set as I am in my ways and my arrogance, the burden of proof is tossed upon the believers. You are my witness. You are my eyes. You are my evidence, Judith Marie, my unconditional one. Wow. That's interesting. This is basically the patented tool build. Yeah. Right? Just this. Here we go. We just keep going. tells you you're going to heaven you're going home yeah yeah i got that you you've been waiting this whole time to go to heaven and now you're going to heaven and that last line that we just read there where he goes i only pray heaven knows when to lift you out that ten thousand days in the fire is long enough yeah, yeah you've suffered you've suffered long enough yeah this this is it's time for you to leave yeah it's time to go yeah, yeah. this happened in 1976 and this whole time you've been living this this pathetic existence in the fire basically yeah, yeah. the whole time I don't expect that to hit you as hard as it does me. Listen to Justin Chancellor. He's just, he, I was about to comment on that. He is such a driving force in this band, and the addition of him when he came on really changed Tool's sound much for the better. And yeah. They were great beforehand, but listen to that air again. We're going to go right back to this. David Gilmore did it. Listen to the air. Adam Jones puts under. Adam Jones is a fantastic guitar player and probably an underrated lead player. Really, yeah. listen to the bass change up here in just a second. How have we not been talking about what Danny Carey's been doing in the background this whole time? This is crazy. It's perfection. Yeah. Yeah. On the weirdest time signature ever. Yeah, here we go. You 
she danced in this, right? What you're not supposed to is mother's dying. Yeah, right. This this isn't happy. Yeah. And the whole time he's telling her, when you get to heaven, you tell them, bring me the maker. Make him face me. And then you tell him, give me my wings. Listen to the bass. The bass is about to get stupid and straight up stupid here. That build, that just that constant increasing of tempo and complexity and emotion that is so that's the best thing about Tool in my opinion. She's taking her last breath. Gotcha. She, she the machines are running. They're thumping along with her heartbeat, making her making her body still work. And he's begging the machines to stop. I love the three-part suite in music, where you have three separate movements that do three separate things. Uh, and I'm not sure that there is a better representation of all the three-part movements, uh, three three movement suites, and that includes Bohemian Rhapsody, that includes Paranoid Android by uh, by Radiohead. Radiohead. There's not one as good as this one. This is three separate movements telling one single story that starts and resolves by the very end. And the very last part says. When you get to heaven, if you see your maker's face tonight, look him in the eye and tell him, I never lived a lie. I never took a life, but I saved one. And then he finishes with, hallelujah, it's time for you to bring me home. And at that moment, her soul leaves that vessel and goes back to her maker. I'm assuming that in that he's referring to the life she saved as his own. Yeah, because because he was being abused by his stepfather. Right, right. And at that point, he took she took her son who wanted to be with her and made the heartbreaking decision to send him to off. send him to his dad. He didn't want to live with his dad, but she knew that she couldn't. It was take better care for him. him. Yeah, yeah. It was six minutes and eleven seconds for Wings for Marie. Five minutes and three seconds for Vanity Trace. Both of those uh, add up to eleven minutes and fourteen seconds, which is the exact same length as Ten Thousand Days Wings. 
Part 2 by Tool. That's from 1996, and that's from the album 10,000 Days. That, my friend, is my number three song of all time. That is, uh, the, the, the fact that you have the math on that, because I mean, Tool doesn't do anything by accident, obviously, when it comes to that sort of thing. So I, I think it's, th- that's one of those little details that you have to be a super fan to, to know, right? I mean, th- th- most people listening to that album, I mean, I know I've heard it, I've listened to that album a million times, would ever think to... Add the, add the first two pieces up to come up with the same number as the third. I mean, yeah. that's that, that's. But once again, that that's tool, and that's the kind of crazy stuff that those guys do. I, man, I'd love to take credit for it. Uh, there are guys out there that are uh, as much as I, I've got to give a shout out. I mentioned my buddy Furley before. I've got to give a shout out to my buddy Furley and my buddy David, both of which are huge Tool fans. Uh, and I know right now they they've got to be creaming their jeans from the fact that they know that I've just done one and I've got another one coming up. <laughs> uh, but both those guys will tell you that. Uh, there are people as big of fans as we are. There are people out there that are, I mean, straight up. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, but bands like beautiful Tool, mind type people yeah. when it comes to Tool. B- b- bands like Tool and Rush, you know, band, these bands that have like very intricate things going on, attract right this level of super fan, right? That you and I, as big of a fan and as into music as we are, are not because right. these are the guys that this is what they do is they listen to the album and analyze everything into the most minute detail you could possibly painfully imagine. So, yeah, right. pa- painfully so, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, yeah, anyway. I love Tool. Uh, I, I think that is a really interesting selection. Um, first of all, it's very, very dark and depressing. And justifiably so because of the because of the lyrical content, yeah. right? I mean, what he's singing about, it cannot be anything but dark and depressing. But we have talked about, but this song has been the culmination of him being raped as a child. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, and losing yeah. his mother to an aneurysm who had to be an invalid for 27 years. Yeah, it's There's a, nothing heavier than that. It's deep, a deep conversation yeah. without question. And, and he's mocking God. That's, that's the thing that gets me is he's even lamenting the fact that he doesn't have the faith. And right. he's saying, I'm the arrogant one. I'm the one that doesn't even have the faith that you, you're the one that had the strength. You had the courage. Yeah, you've, been, you've been living in this terrible situation for all this time and, and you never and you lost never your way. You never gave up. Yeah, yeah. You never gave up. And even when you should have, in my opinion, you didn't give up. And therefore, when you get to heaven, you tell God, I didn't give up and you better give me my wings. <laughs> give me my wings. <laughs> it's time for me to get my I have wings. earned these. Yeah. I, I, I'm done with this. Um, but I can tell you that uh, there will be times when I'm in that place that this song is the only thing that can soothe really? the pain of of my existential crisis. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, especially knowing you, I, I can see why that would make sense. You know, I have never listened to the lyrics to that song before. And like most Tool songs, um, they exist only in the the aspect that they are another piece of the instrumentation, right? You know, I mean, if I'm playing lateralis on the guitar, I will sing sing the lyrics sure. just because they go together, right? Right. I mean, it's a piece, but I don't give a lot of thought to it. Um, however, musically, they are one of the deepest, most creative group of guys out there i mean mm-hmm. they, they produce some just really really incredible stuff that is not first listen stuff i mean you've got to listen lateralis is one of those albums that i've listened to a bazillion times i mean and you can listen to it from front to back over and over and find something new almost constantly because they're just they're such talented guys man they're they so really good are. at what they do yeah and, and what's really funny is uh adam jones would probably tell you he's a better visual artist than he is anything else you know he, he did their videos he did all the videos, yeah with the yeah. stop motion the claymation stuff yeah, yeah that was all him yeah. And, I, and i think that he had um 
uh, I can't remember the guy's name. His last name was Gray. Uh, that did a lot of their album art, but he did a lot of the concept, like the concept it. stuff, yeah, and then had the artist actually do the rest yeah. of it. Uh, at, at least up until the point where they did Lateralis. Uh, I, I know okay. for sure on, on Anima uh, and Undertow, uh, Adam Jones was the one who was like creating these almost like um, uh, like Edward Scissorhands. Beetlejuice, that really bizarre, macabre, absolutely, really weird. Uh, what's the what's the what's the uh, the like the, the nightmare, nightmare Before Christmas yeah, stuff? Well, uh, Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Tim yeah, Burton yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of that kind of stuff, and I want to say maybe Adam Jones may have been involved in some of that claymation stuff. That was I, I really, that. I thought he was. I think it was. And, and if you think about like the, because he's an art student, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that was his whole thing was was art. And I, I want to say if you go back and look at uh, Stink Fist, um. Which was uh, one of us is buzzing. Oh, it's me over there. That's all right. We'll pretend uh, like this not happening. If you go back and listen to Stink Fist or watch the video for Stink Fist, and you watch the video for um, for Forty Six and Two, uh, and I think maybe if you watch the video for Sober from Undertow, uh, then all of them ha- kind of have that macabre claymation type they do. thing that that Adam Jones did. He actually was making them. He was bending them and, and stop motion videotaping those things. Yeah, that's the first time I heard. Uh, we need to get on, obviously. But the first time I heard Undertow, I was like, "Wow, that's great!" And then when I heard their next album, I was like, eh, "I don't really need to go back and listen to Undertow anymore." <laughs> I mean, because I just think they musically progressed a whole lot over right. those first couple of albums. Right. All right, that's my number three. Good selection, man. Thanks, buddy. Let's let's do one more, uh, and then um, you know, let's, let's do two more, and then we've got we've got you a coin come back. flip. We've got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to do the next two, and then uh, flip the coin? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. So that was my number three. You're down to uh, these are these I are think, our top two songs. I think two comes after three. Yeah, or before three. Let me see here. Aggie math goes. Okay. Carry the one. It, it is definitely four. <laughs> no, it's twelve. It's twelve. All right. So this is uh, this is going to be a much lighter selection. I might add. Um, this is a great song off a great album by one of my absolute favorite bands of all time. Um, This is Bones by Radiohead off of the album The Bins. The Bins came out in 95. This is the technically their second album, although I would consider it to be the first one I cared about. Mm. Um, You don't care for Pablo Honey? I do not. Really? At all. Mm. Okay. Sorry. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like yeah. derivative of whatever else was going on on the radio. I don't think they'd found their... Uh, I think Tom York would probably... I, uh, Tom York didn't play most of those songs forever, like after that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not exactly saying something weird here. I could do without Creep ever again. If I never, Yeah, I agree. If I never heard that again. So the, the bends for me kind of starts what I think is cool with Radiohead, right? right? Um, and then if, if Soundgarden is kind of like the first half of the 90s sound-wise to me... I think Radiohead is the second half. I mean, okay. I, I, everything that they did in the 90s is absolutely fantastic. I mean, almost everything they did, excluding their first album, are, would all be listed as some of my favorite albums. Um, but this is very representative, I think, of... I mean, this is not grunge by any stretch of the imagination. Right? Is it proggy? I don't know if this is prog rock or not. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think this... well. I don't know what you call. I, I don't know what you call Radiohead, and, and I agree with you. If grunge was uh, our, 
you graduated high school in 94. 94 I graduated yeah. in 95. We were almost exactly 11 months apart. Uh, if if grunge defined the, the, the first, first half, half of the 90s, then Radiohead defined the second, the second half. half. Yeah. yeah. And it's so funny that when I say grunge, I'm talking about a collection of, of, of musicians from Seattle right. that branched out. Uh, and like really push that feeling right? as opposed to just one band which yeah. we're talking about for the second half we're but, talking about the second half I, mean, I don't think you can understate radiohead's influence on everything i, I agree i mean they're unbelievable and this album i mean this is a this is a rock album um obviously they went on to do you know they had a concept album and then they kind of went into electronica and then there's also these guys just do they just go from here right but this is probably the last like just straight rock album. Yeah, the last like two and four beat. Yeah, e- exactly. I mean, yeah. because once we get into OK Computer, then things change dramatically. Right. You know, and then right. we get then we go to Kid A, and then things really change <laughs> dramatically. Yeah, really, really. Change. It's a whole other ball game. Yeah. But you know, here we still got these are great, uh, just a great album of really well constructed songs. And and even though there's it's just a rock album, you can still you can really get the sense of where they're going to go. And you know, Johnny Greenwood's guitar playing. Never is or never was going to be the same as anybody else. I mean, he does his own thing. He's got his own sound. Um, obviously, Tom York is nobody else sounds like Tom York. I think you know Colin Greenwood, <coughs> excuse me, on bass is kind of the unsung hero of this album, um, and especially on this song, uh, it, just laying down a groove that is fantastic. You know, we've got this multi-layered uh, guitar sound, very thick. Yeah, go ahead and kick it off. Very thick, very luscious, but you've got the man. Rhythm section is just just holding down this groove that kind of drives the whole thing. Oscillator, is that what that's called? You can see where they're going to go with the grooves down the road. So the name of this song is Bones, and that's what he's going to... I don't want to be crippled and cracked. Just like with time, we talked about getting older. Yeah. I, that theme has come back around here to us, right? Yeah. Shoulders, wrists, knees, and back. I don't want to be ground to dust and ash and crawling on all fours. Johnny Greenwood plays a Telecaster. Okay. Twangy. Very twangy. And, you know, for kind of a heavy heavy sound, it's kind of an interesting choice, I think. Yeah. But he, that's what he's always played. He's a Tele guy. The, uh, the play and sound that Radiohead does, by the way, in case you were wondering, I personally am listed in the top 1% of all listeners of Radiohead around the world. Did you know that? On Spotify? Yeah, on Spotify. No kidding. Yeah, I, I, I listen to... I listen to more Radiohead on Spotify than 99% of the entire world. <laughs> you know what? That actually doesn't surprise so, me. So, yeah, I love Radiohead, man. I mean, can you not, can you hear this song and not conjure the late 90s in your brain? I mean, no. Can you not just, just feel it and see it? And then, no. You know. I was, I started college in 95. That's when this song came, or this, this album came yeah. out. Right? Uh, this was the soundtrack of me becoming a, a, a grown up. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, Tom, you works play in the space. Oh, it's amazing. 
his ability to create vocals that sound like a, like another instrument, I that's the thing that I love about it. It not only is he a master musician and a master poetry writer, such an expressive singer. His ability to to create vocals that sound like yet another instrument in the room uh, is uh, I get emotional sometimes when I listen to him do that. Uh, you oh know, yeah, absolutely. On Moonshaped Pearl, which was their last oh, album, what a great album. Uh, his wife that he had divorced right before that and then died of cancer, I believe. Uh, there are a couple songs that right. he's singing to her, and the emotion that's coming through on that is just he channels emotion unlike most singers. I mean, yeah. he, he really has a great ability to do it, but it's not the, uh, it's not like the, the high range, like the, he's not a Chris Cornell. Right. He's not, um, he's, it's thin. Like his vocals are thin. They, I think, I don't think that they have a lot. Oh of no, absolutely. I mean, he's not a major James Keenan. He's not, I mean, he's different. He's his yeah. own thing, but he's fantastic. But you know, Radiohead's really the sum of it's all those things together. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, they're also good at what they do and they all have their part in the band right and they do it well um i somebody made a joke that uh ed o'brien was going to do a solo album and it was just going to be arpeggios and background vocals <laughs> that's funny well because that's what but that's what he does in radiohead right i mean he, he plays the, the guitar parts in the back and makes sure colin's got plenty of space to do his thing starting then, on kid know. a i felt so bad for him and phil selway as the drummer Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt so bad for those guys because I know that they were in the band, but their roles had reduced to nothing. Well, but you, but right? not really though, because uh, like John Johnny will go in and uh, Johnny Greenwood guitar. Um, he plays a lot of the. They're not just doing synths on that stuff. I mean, there's actually like, and if they are, they're playing it. I mean, they're like right. they're, they're playing the notes, so they're still they're still involved in the instrumentation. And even if it's just like sitting there with a guitar feeding back and turning it on and off, I mean, they still do everything. So it's not just like Dude, Tom York and it's not just Tom York and a synthesizer. Don't I guess give me is that my shit. point. I had an older brother. I had to sit there and watch him play football. <laughs> I got to be the referee. I get it. You're still on the album. <laughs> I guess is the point. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you play football. Please stand over here. Hey, you're, you're gonna be there, right? Yeah. The sound of that song is just, like the whole album is fantastic. Obviously, everybody should own that and should be fans of it. But it should that that song is just that, that is such a standout track for me. In that is everything that is cool, the the groove, the mood, the guitar playing, the yeah. angstiness. I mean, it's just it's a it's a perfect capsule of the time. I think, and it's just an excellently, it's a perfectly executed song. Right. Um, I, I don't think there's anything bad about it. There was one night uh, after I got this on vinyl. Uh, that that you come over and it's great on vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> after our third or fourth bottle of wine, uh, we put this on and we sit there and listen to it. And I'm just like leaning back and just like, God damn it, man! Listen, it's to so that. good. It stands the test of time so yeah. well. I mean, it's, and it still sounds fresh. I it mean, does. It's relevant still. You know. Yeah. yeah. And part of that has to do with once again just the just overwhelming influence they've had on rock and roll sure. over the last 20 sure. years well and and i think after this once you get into okay OK computer uh which i've always said is probably my favorite album but really i think it may be the bins like if i if i really break it down i'm not sure that the bins isn't but again being a radiohead fan i can go through and i can right. there are times where in rainbows is going to be my favorite album or hail to the thief is going to be my favorite album and it really depends well, well like on you i listen to radiohead more than anything else yeah that is my number one band that i listen to isn't that funny yeah I, I can't. I can't get enough of it, yeah. and it just depends on moods. Hey, fun fact: um, you probably knew this, but uh, Johnny Greenwood does soundtracks for I movies, that, yeah. and he scored "There Will Be Blood." 
I'll be damned. I did not know that. I had no idea. I knew he did a bunch of movies, but yeah, and he's also done uh, what? What's that director's name? Um, he's done all of his. Tim Burton. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, can you imagine if Tim Burton had done there? Will be blown. That would. Be... <laughs> Danny Elfman was. Oh, the... what a... yeah, Danny Elfman. <laughs> what a different world that would have been. Had Pee Wee Herman stick his head in. <laughs> That was my Pee Wee Herman, by the way. No, I, I, <laughs> that was very apparent to me. <laughs> we just that, That's your number That was my number two. That is Bones number by Radiohead off the fantastic album from 1995, The Benz. You, you will never, ever get me to say anything bad about uh, Radiohead being included on any best of album. Uh, best of list, I mean. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a... We do the next two? Yeah, let's do the next two. Yeah. yeah. No, we're going to do... We're, we'll do one. Um I'll, I'll do no, I'll do my number two, and then we'll decide which uh, which one of us gets to pick our first real episode that's coming in this. When we actually get into the album, yeah, when we format. actually get into yeah. our favorite album. Yeah. So far, it's been our favorite songs. Uh, my number two was released in 2013. Uh, there are, to me, the the art of the troubadour, the the songwriter. Uh, it is is somewhat lost. Uh, it was picked up again over the past few years with indie and roots type uh, style the Ameri- music. The Americana, Americana genre. Yeah, yeah uh, it was picked back up. Uh, but for the longest time, I mean, you think about like you know the Woody Guthrie, the uh, you know some of the folk stuff, the Joan Baez, uh, Emmy Lou Harris, you know that sort of thing, where um, where you have these songwriters that are writing meaningful songs in such a poetic verse uh is to me is something that i yearn for you know that there's there's a certain sense sure, of absolutely that, that i love um the, my three favorite song writers of all time number three is towns van zandt of fort worth texas uh I, I bought you an album one time called live at the quarter i believe fantastic just listened to that the other night actually it's Again, him yeah. it's, it's him in a bar that's not an air conditioned and you can hear the fans going and it's him with a guitar singing yeah yeah uh my number two is james mcmurtry who's whose dad uh, Larry McMurtry of Lonesome Dove fame, right? Uh, from uh, from in Texas, right here where we are. There'll be a James McMurtry album on this list. There absolutely will. Yeah. yeah, because uh, and, and I want to introduce people to James McMurtry, and I want people to realize just just how good of a of a lyricist James McMurtry is. He is a poet. What a storyteller! Wonderful. But uh, Towns Van Zant died. James McMurtry is still around. But my number one songwriter of all time is Jason Isbell. Really? Yeah. And his album, Southeastern, should be issued to you when you get your social security card. That is, what an amazing album. It, it Unbelievable. Is, yeah. I've, I've, I've worn it out practically. It yeah. is so, so good. So so I mentioned this. By the way, I went through and did a, an average of our favorites, of our 10 favorite songs. Uh, you want to guess what year, what average year we have for our 10 favorite songs? Why don't you just tell us that number, Michael? 1986. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can, uh, you know what? I can see that, actually. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it's messed up by the fact that we have Jason Isbell that came out in 2013 and the fact that we did uh, Miles Davis in 1959. So I... I, I the ends I, of the spectrum. Yeah. So I took those two off and it ended up being 1986.5. So <laughs> uh, 1986 is about the average We're of, consistent. Of, yeah. yeah. Um, but let's talk about the song Elephant by Jason Isbell. From the 2013 release, Southeastern. And why this is my number two song of all time. Uh, This is a song that 
did not occur. This is a story that he created because he was dating a girl who was a bartender. And she said to him one time, you know, these people come in, these characters come in and they sit at my bar and they tell their stories and they're here for a while and they become regulars. And then one day they disappear and I don't know where they go. And then their story is over. The Sundays had a song uh, back in 1990 that was, this is where the story ends. Uh, and I think that's one of the most cold-blooded things to say to someone. This sure. is where the story ends. Uh, I, I say it to my son when I'm like, when we're arguing about stuff. This is where the story ends. Uh, but she was saying that some of these people that come in and drink their nose purple, their stories just end. They just and, go away. Yeah. And she never knows. And so Jason Isbell took that song uh, and wrote a a dialogue with one of the regulars at a bar that she's unnamed. Don't know. Uh, she calls him Andy, which I have no idea why Andy, but she does. Um, Maybe it fit the meter. She's dying of cancer. She is terminal with cancer. Right. And he's talking about the fact that this girl is on a bar stool drinking the last bit of her life away and dying. This is Elephant by Jason Isbell. There's an F word in here, which yes. is the, the best placed F word in any song I've ever heard. She said it's in appropriate. It's appropriate. It's yeah. well done. Winked at me and drained her glass. Cross-legged on a bar stool like nobody sits anymore. His imagery as a storyteller is really, really fantastic. Yeah. Almost unparalleled, really, and to your point. And the entire album, Southeastern, is this good. Yeah. So he's talking about he's taking this drunk girl home who's right. dying. And this is what he says about her right here. Listen. If I'd fucked her before she got sick, I'd never hear the end of it. I'd never hear the end of that. I love that. Yeah, his friends would make fun of him. Yeah. Fun of him yeah. for, for going out with this ugly girl. Uh, but now that she's sick, they kind of... You know, it's kind of expected because you know, you're kind of giving her a pity fuck. Yeah, he'd, he'd never hear the end of it. I love yeah. it. That that phrase that try to ignore the elephant, you know, just, just how to, and, and like that juxtaposition of like just everyday activities like drinking beer and hanging out and talking and just trying to pretend like it's not there. The, the demise is always there. That Sylvia Plath sort of way where we're you always just, on the But way you're just out. trying to ignore it. Just trying to pretend like it's not there. Yeah. His description of her here, I, I know what she looks like. Listen. Sharecropper eyes, the hair almost all gone. She's almost bald. Yeah. She was drunk. She made cancer jokes. Made up her own doctor's notes. Surrounded by her family. I'd sing her classic country songs and she'd get high and sing along. She don't have a voice to sing with me. We burn these joints in effigy. Cry about what we used to be. Try to ignore the elephants. That burn these joints in effigy line is brilliant yeah I love that yeah this is this is so sad to me I buried her a 
That line. That pierces me. Oh, absolutely, it's haunting. If you've ever watched someone die, but but you don't, but you don't think about it that way, right? You don't think that there's one thing that's clear to me: no one dies with dignity. No one dies with dignity. In the line before that, where he says, uh, "Surrounded by her family, I could tell that she was dying alone." Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. And, and let's talk first. I mean, the, the lyrics, and I know this is a songwriter, but talk for a second about that guitar. I mean, it, it's such a simple guitar part. I mean, he's just doing the same thing over and over. We got the capo on the fourth, fourth on fret, the I think. Third or fourth, yeah. yeah. And he's just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. But it's just, it's a perfectly crafted little acoustic tune. If, if I thought to Just grab a the little guitar, bit of, you know, lead in the background, just like riffing away occasionally. I think there's some piano back there. I th- there I is. Think they, I think they put this But it's just, piano. it's uh, it's mood enhancing, right? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that stands out in the song other than him. And what he's singing about, right? And as you and I know, listening to him and having seen him live, I mean, this guy is a hell of a guitar player. He is he's a, a virtuoso. Oh, he's so good. And his yeah. band is fantastic. They put on a live show that'll knock your socks off. Yeah. And like that guy can shred with the best of them. And so, what I think is really cool about that song, and I'm so glad you picked that because I love that song, is his with all of his ability and all of the, this great band you know the 400 unit that he plays with and all these great guys for him to just sit there and write a song with just an acoustic guitar and have the have the restraint maybe is the word to not want to like bring the whole band in and put this big thing together because the song stands better by itself just like that just totally. simple yeah. just just like the simple little story yeah and i saw him uh in Thackerville Ohio, Oklahoma i think uh in I can't remember the name. Wasn't of it. it a casino? Yeah, it was a casino yeah. up in Thackerville, uh, which, by the way, I think is the worst music venue ever because it's <laughs> flat and you know there's no rise to right. to the audience. Um, and he played this kind of like a, a whole band, you know, and like everybody's out there and just kind of you know it's it's still sad. There's still a lot of gravitas to it. Right. Uh, his his wife Amanda, who by the way lived in Mineral Wells, Texas. I didn't know. Yep. Uh, I think she grew up. I think her formative years were in Lubbock, if I'm not mistaken. That I didn't know, but yeah. I didn't know she was from Middle uh, She did. She did spend some time down in Miserable okay. Wells. Uh, but they were, you know, she was playing along, and you know, she has a really, she she has a really uh, in- incredible affectation she can put on a, a, a fiddle to really make it whine, you know. Uh, and I was a little disappointed because I think this song should be held with reverence, you know, to the point where it's not like a funeral dirge. But almost, you know, well, I think it just I think it's more I think it's more powerful by itself without yeah. the backing instrumentation yeah. and the full, the full band thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and, he, and he tells a story about this person who's dying and he paints this tapestry. He weaves this absolutely gorgeous waterfall, cascading waterfall of feeling and sound. And everything that's not there is as important as everything that is. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it adds to. To the mood. That's right. Yeah. And you know what? What makes him a my favorite songwriter is it didn't happen. Right. So he wrote a song about something that didn't happen in a way that I sit there and I, sometimes I get emotional. You know, think about it. I, I remember. The, I can remember the first time we were together. The first time we heard the song. Yeah, the first time we listened to this album yeah. was together. Yeah. And uh, we did a whole lot of 
I wonder who this is about. I mean, is this metaphorical? Is yeah. this, a bit, you know, because, and I think a lot of, if you, like, I, I can't write songs like that. You know, you guys me to put some chords together, some riffs, I'll be happy to, but I, I don't, don't feel bad. I don't write No so, one can write exactly. songs like that. But, so, but it, it's hard, I think it's hard for most people to think that somebody has just like completely made this thing up, yeah. you know, because what you want to do is you put yourself in their shoes and go, oh, wasn't that terrible? He, maybe his middle name's Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 How did he well, she got his name wrong. I mean, I always kind of presumed that the, the story here was that somehow she got his name wrong because she thought his name was Andy. Gotcha. As opposed to the song. The song is actually about a guy named Andy and I, the girl. I, I used yeah. to have a donut store that I used to go to that she knew I was coming. Uh, uh, it's so she would have my two kolaches and a dozen holes, dozen donut right. holes ready. Uh, for some reason, she got in her head. My name was Mark. And so when I walk in, hey, Mark, and uh, I just let her go with it. Just give me the donuts. I mean, at some point, you just got to take the donuts, right? I give you the $2, you give me the, the donuts. donuts. I don't need a receipt. <laughs> and a transaction. And a transaction. <laughs> Want to file this under P for paper? Jason Isbell, Elephant, from the superb 2013 album, Southeastern. And not only uh, is this song superb, he, he has two or three other ballads like this, like story ballads on that uh, album. One for sure, I, I, uh, it's called Yvette. Uh, where he's that, talking, yeah, that's a great song. He's talking about the neighbor girl next door. Her father is sexually abusing her. But once again, it's told from the perspective of a young boy. Of a young boy who has to sit there and watch his neighbor girl be sexually molested, and he's fantasizing about shooting about taking care of the problem, shooting, yeah. shooting the father with a rifle through the window, right? Just so that he won't be able to abuse her anymore. Yeah, yeah I mean, the guy can really. Uh, he can craft a song, man. It's, it's he really can. Right? Yeah. yeah, that whole album's fantastic. It is. We definitely will be talking about that. We, we at some point, uh, Southeastern is going to have its own full special on here uh, because I do love that album so much that I might even put that. I, I might even go one, two, three, uh, Revolver, Pet Sounds, Southeastern. I might. Don't. Put it in pencil. I'm okay. Not, All right. We'll come, we'll, uh, we're going to put a pin in that and come back to it. Okay. Yeah. And, and now, I, I, now, I don't mean favorite. No, I know, I know what I'm, you mean. I'm, talk, I'm talking about best. As no, as I, I, know, yeah, I know what you mean. And it's criminal to me that it doesn't get the better ratings. But, you know, it's funny, though. Um, I mean, in the Americana circles, he is royalty. I mean, he's yeah. hugely popular. Yeah. And he got a Grammy for, or he was nominated for a Grammy. Did he win the Grammy? Or it not, wasn't Maybe for this album. It was for the Nashville, Nashville Sound, I think, Sound, which was yeah. two albums later. Which is also a good album. Yeah. But this is his... It's not Southeastern, though. This is his pinnacle. I think you yes. and I got into him listening to... Uh, he did a live album with the 400 unit. Jason Isbell and the 400 unit right. live. He had like a horn section with him. He was doing a lot of the stuff from the drive-by truckers mm-hmm. and some of his original. And so we were like, man, who is this? this guy's fantastic. And then all of a sudden here comes... I think he had an album and then Southeastern dropped and that was... That's it. Yeah, and off it, to the races. like yeah. Rocket to the Moon yeah. trajectory for his career. Yeah. Uh, and and well, justifiably show, so, I should say. Yeah. And, and well-deserved. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. there, if there's any piece of concrete out there on, on a sidewalk that has a star on it where the best musicians uh, get to have their own little piece of concrete, not having Jason Isbell to me is an he, absolute he, crime. He should be on there. He's, he's yeah. unbelievable. He, he is. really is. Elephant, Jason Isbell, Southeastern 2013. What a fantastic selection. Well done. So, th- the next time we are on here... We're going to be talking about an album in our proceed format that we wanted to do, right? Correct. Yeah. We're, this is this has been the kind of 
figure this thing out, get going thing. Yeah. So now yeah. we're now we're ne- we, next week we're going to talk about an album. Yeah. Right? We're, we're yeah. going to we're going to pick an album apart, just like we've been doing our songs, but this is going to be a full album. How that album was meant to be listened to when it was originally recorded. Absolutely. Right? You have an idea of what our favorite ten songs are. Now you're going to start hearing some of the albums that are our favorites, and that was the concept behind Correct. our favorite albums. Absolutely. In my hand, I own a commemorative coin from uh, September 11th. Uh, that was given by the F, uh, by the, the fire department or the police department. I can't remember which, which one from New York, uh, but it's a commemorative coin that I keep in my in, at my desk, and it's my worry coin. Gotcha. I sit here and toss it back and forth. On the front side, you see there's a red, white, and blue flag. Yes. On the back side, there looks like some sort of arrowhead or a spade. Yes. Okay. So, which do you pick, that one or that one? I'll take the arrowhead. You're taking the backside. Okay. I will take the backside. I'm going to flip this coin, and whoever wins the coin flip is the one who gets to pick the album first, and then the week after that, the other person will will get to take one, and we're just going to go We're just going to go forth. straight rotation, yeah. yeah. We're going to go back and forth until we get tired of doing this or one of us dies. Okay. And I don't know which one. All right. Uh, you have more wood over there. Flip it for me. Make sure it lands on the wood. Arrowhead. Arrowhead. Okay. So you have the first choice. I have the first choice. Wow. You I'm going to leave that there for now. You want to tease it? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> Our number one songs of we're gonna all time. We're going to come. We're going to deal with that as we get there. Okay. Our number one songs of all time. Oh, boy. Here we go. Well, so just to back up just real quick, if you'll indulge me for 30 seconds. You have as much time as you want. At this point, I, I'm, I'm going to have to split this into two episodes. You realize? Yeah, that? that's right. We we, we yeah. talked for a long time today. Yeah. Um, so do, doing picking ten songs, and I said this when we started this. Picking ten songs was difficult enough. Ordering those ten songs, which you insisted I do, was even more <laughs> difficult. But I always knew which that w- this band was going to have a song that was going to be number one. Right. Because this is my favorite band of all time. I have seen them live. I have worshipped them since I could could do that sort of thing. You know? I don't I don't mean to steal your breath, but I knew it too. I, you know it would be, yeah. right? Yeah. But the song selection, I really had to think about which one it was going to be because out of this massive catalog of music of theirs and all, 40 years of recording albums um, and live albums and studio albums and everything else, you know, what was it going to be? So I, I really had to think about it quite a bit. And this one um, actually ended up, once I kind of put my mind to it, it actually ended up being uh, like, you know, that, that's really not much of a competition now that I think about it. Really, um, your, your number one song. When it came down to it, you knew it was going to be this one. I, when I when I sat down and thought through it, I mean, I had to think about it for a while. But it's one of those things when I finally chose it, it was like, I don't. Why did I put this much effort into it? This should have been easier. Right. <laughs> I shouldn't have had to think about this this yeah. much. Um, this is Subdivisions by the band Rush off the album Signals from 1982. Um, this wow. has this has the distinction of being you know my favorite band, my favorite song but probably my least favorite album of theirs. Really? Yes, I am not a fan of the rest of Signals for the most part. Um, And this song, when it first came out, because I always liked the song, but where it really gets you was when you see Rush live um, because it loses some of the early 80s time period recording quality, if you will, and then turns into more of a live rock show. Mm -hmm. And the, the... Alex, so the great Alex Lifeson on guitar, uh, the great Getty Lee 
on bass, vocals, and keyboards, which are very prominent in this song. And then, of course, the late, great, amazing Neil Peart, who we talked about at great length yeah. with your uh, selection. You know, it's funny to me when we had the list finished, you and I both picked from Rush, but we could not have picked two more different selections. Okay, let, let's let's talk about this real quick. We had two Rush. I mean, th- think about we, this for we, a second, we right? We had two Rush songs. Yeah. Right? Um, let's see here. We had one Pearl Jam. We had... So is Rush the only one that there's two on? Yeah. We, we picked, uh, we, no, it's not true. We picked the same song. I have two from the same band. Okay. Well, no, that's true. You yeah. do. That's true. Yeah. But this is the only band that we both picked. Right. So. Well, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Because I picked a Rush and you picked a Rush. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Now, we both picked Time by Pink Floyd, but right. only only one of us got to have it on the list. But you, we both did pick it, though. You and I, uh, we look similar. As a matter of fact, we are mistaken for brothers. It does happen. Yes. Often. Yeah. Uh, it happens that we work together. Um, it happens that we are best friends. It happens that we hang out socially. It happens that I, mean, I was joking about Ernie and Bert earlier, but I mean, kind of how it is. Man. Yeah. You're a little taller and thinner than I am, and you know, I kind of all the time. Uh, True. But if I go back and I put these twenty songs, uh, if I write the name of one of these songs on a marble, put in a hat and pull it out, uh, other than the Steely Dan track. We're probably both going to like every single song we pull out of here, right? Absolutely. And I yeah. think I, I really do think that you could probably stomach Steely Dan more than you say that you do. You know, I probably could. Yeah. If you pulled it out, I'd listen to it. How's that? Okay. So this song is, uh, like I said, very different from your selection. And this, you know, this is the '80s period, a little heavier on the keyboards and whatnot. I mean, they've always used the keyboards, but this is a very kind of keyboard centric song. But it, it still has all the great. You know, Alex is going to have his part. Getty's bass playing on this is fantastic. And we get into, and of course, Neil is is always great. Yeah. Um, subject matter of this is subdivisions. Um, and in a neighborhood. Uh, well, subdivisions in general, but yeah, he talked lyrically. He really talks about growing up in a, a subdivision, like a suburb. Okay, um, I grew up in a suburb, so at the, you know when I was listening to the song, it, it kind of resonated with me a little bit. But when we get started lyrically, he talks about you know the subdivisions in the hall, subdivisions you know at, at the mall. I mean, this is everything is subdivided. All of these groups and how we isolate ourselves um, and how we make these things that we put around and then we actually live in these subdivided areas all at the same time where every, everything's unique. Um, you're not allowed, you're not supposed to think for yourself. You're not supposed to have different ideas. You know, you live here, you act this way, you go to the same school, you go to the same mall, you do the same stuff. This is how life is supposed to be laid out for you. This is not the place for dreamers. It's not the place for independent thinkers. And obviously Neil poetically words that very, very nicely, but it's, it's a song about subdivisions in, in all its various ways. Yep. I've always loved this song. I have. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't expect this to be your number one Rush song. I knew it was going to be a Rush song. In hindsight, it doesn't surprise me because you sing this song a lot in the office. I do. Yeah. In, in addition to all the other things, we also work together. Right. So uh, you you sing this song a lot. You play this song a lot on the guitar when you're uh, when, when you're taking a break. And so it doesn't surprise me. I, I can tell you this, and maybe uh, again, I, I don't want to steal your breath on this. Go for it. Um, the line. Uh, be cool or be cast out. Be cool or be cast out. Yeah. And then later on, he uh, he there's a reprise there where he goes, conform or be cast or out. Or be cast out, yeah. Uh, anyone who's never felt that way has has nothing to do. We have different problems in life. Sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we have nothing to talk about. If, if you've never felt that pain of being uh, excluded from some group. And he's, and he's specifically singing 
to youth, right? I mean, yeah. angsty time. I mean, subdivisions in the high school halls and the shopping malls can form or be cast out in the basement bars in the backs of cars. Be cool or be cast out. You know, you got to fit in. Yeah. Got to do what you're supposed to do. Don't step out of the line. Don't color outside of the lines. You got to be in here. Otherwise, you know, you can't be part of the crew. Right. It's just the way it is. And, and they were, all three of them were pretty big nerds. And so I could, I could see that they, they absolutely point, were, you know, felt that pain of, of being outcast. Can I start the song? Please do. There's the, the bridge in the middle. We'll oh. get to it. We'll get to it. Isn't that great? Wow. <laughs> So I really prefer the live versions of this song because they are so much heavier, but I couldn't come up with the one I wanted, so we just went with the album. Neil is a monster. Even on something like this, his his pattern, like his shape pattern. Remember the old spirograph uh, toy in the seventies? Yeah, yeah. You know, where you like take a pencil and you move it around the gears, and it like makes this like crazy looking elliptical shape. That's what he does with drums. Yes, here we go, sprawling on the edges of the city in geometric order. I was talking about spirographs, and it just so happens he, he he's alluding to that. Yeah. What what an amazing songwriter. Far unlit unknown. Now for some Getty Lee bass. I love the play on meter, by the way. Um, what makes William Shakespeare so great is the fact that uh, he was writing an iambic pentameter, which was da 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 da. Every other syllable goes up. The way this goes, what he just said. Uh, any escape might help to yeah. soothe. Any escape might help to soothe the unattracted youth. But the suburbs have no charm to soothe the restless, restless dreams of youth. youth. Yeah. That is an iambic pentameter, yeah. my friend. We just took Rush and put it into a Shakespeare sonnet. <laughs> well, I mean, this is Neil, so it wouldn't surprise me, right? My English teachers from school are got to be loving that. I, I got Mr. Matei. I got Marty Jacobson that I talked about. Man, you're dropping teachers like left and right. I was a teacher's pet. Start to dream of somewhere to relax their restless flight. 
You know, there's a driving. Um, gosh, I don't know how to say this. It's like a desperation here. Oh, absolutely, there, there really is. They, they're 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 calling back to the time when they were cast outs. You know, absolutely. Uh, not only Neil singing it, but uh, is that Alex? By the way, that's going so Who's that on tape? But live, uh, Getty records it, and Alex plus is a pedal. So. Okay. But, but Alex doesn't laugh his voice. Yeah, that's that's Getty singing. But but who's going subdivisions? That's Getty. That, that is Getty saying it. Well, it is live. You know, I don't know who it is on the album. That's a good question. It doesn't sound like Getty. It doesn't because it doesn't go <laughs> subdivisions. He didn't talk like that, right? No, no. He doesn't have the high pitched voice when he talks. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. but it's not squeaky. I'm always annoyed by people who go, you know, Rush would be awesome if not for the singer. Rush is awesome because of the singer. Listen to that guitar. That's a very simple solo for somebody as good as Alex Lifeson, but it's that always playing to the song, right? What's right for the song? drums at the end it's like he'd been holding back the whole time and he was like all right can i play some fills now guys you grab a couple things in here and go with it if you don't mind uh neil and billy cobham and charlie antolini and buddy rich uh, a lot of what keith moon was doing although not quite as technical uh, but definitely john bonham uh bernard purdy that i spoke about before right. steve gad uh the uh, either Jeff or Steve Pocaro, I can't remember which one it is. Uh, those guys that had this this ability to to play within the drum fill space uh, is what made Neil so legendarily wonderful. Uh, you can go back and listen to some of the Billy Cobham stuff that, that he did in the 70s. So, you know, at some point, drummers were putting out jazz solo albums when that jazz fusion stuff was happening. Uh, and you go, go holy crap. That's <laughs> like, a whole album of nothing but a bass player, you know, with, with Jaco Pastorius. Right, right. Uh, but everything is built around that. Uh, what's amazing is that Neil wrote these songs, but he didn't write them around the drums. Right. The drums framed the songs, but uh, it, with Getty going on the bass and Alex over there just completely smoking. Yeah. So on that tone, the, the way they the way they write is Neil sits in a room and writes poetry, you know, and lyrics. And Alex and Getty go in another room and just work on riffs until they come up with a song. Really? And then they get the song, and then out they take the lyrics from Neil, and Getty has to figure out which of the lyrics go in which song and how to put them all together is how I understand they write. Wow. Or how they wrote anyway. But it, but to your point, I mean, yes, you got the guy writing the lyrics, not writing them for the drums. Right. And then having to come in and put the drums around the music that the other guys have you know been working on and it's, right. it's, it's a it's a fascinating thing that they come up with this well-crafted song and you know, once again the car, guitar solo is appropriate the bass riffs are appropriate the drums are appropriate these are guys that can just the keyboards the synthesizers are appropriate exactly yeah. everything is right for the song and these are guys that as we know from your selection yyz are all capable of just going off and virtuosoing themselves for minutes and minutes and minutes at a time and just showing what amazing musicians they are yeah. and this is an example of them showing a lot of restraint and producing a very well-crafted song 
that that really is a, a, a very cool song um you want me to guess at what i thought your number one would be please oh and I, i'm afraid this is going to hurt your feelings it won't uh trees well, I mean that's definitely up in the the list near yeah. the near the pantheon. It's in the pantheon. How's that? It, well, it tells a story. You know the. It's a great story. The uh, it, is it oaks and maples? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the oaks have overgrown the forest, and the maples are underneath and demand light. And so the maples demand that they get the same amount of light as the oaks, even though to to do that they got to cut the oaks down. Right. right. And you know, at the end, they're all kept equal by a hatchet, axe, and saw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I thought for sure that'd be yours because it's so metaphorical. Sure. Um. You tell me, is this not part two of, of that type of, of story? I mean, you're, you're talking about, you're, you're telling people who are outcasts, don't worry about being outcasts. And so there's almost like a moral of the story here, like a youthful moral that you're giving. You know, I, I kind of take that a little bit differently. Um, I think Neil is more talking about the fact that it's not good. Like, he's not saying stay here. He's talking about the fact that it's it's not a great place to be. I mean, you can't. So some people just aren't meant for this. Right, right. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Okay. In, in any way, I'm not trying to glorify subdivisions. I, I'm saying that what they're doing is they're, they're preaching this, uh, this socially moral. Yeah, everybody's got to fit here and everybody's got to be just right. Like I said, don't color outside the lines. Yeah, and, and, and then almost telling these guys, that the ones who are suffering from this, that, does he say the word suffering? I don't think so. Um, the ones who are suffering through this, uh, being shunned by society, by what's cool, almost telling them, you, it's the way it is. Yeah, you can be a rock star too. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's definitely what he's saying. And, and you know, and like I said, I grew up in the the suburbs outside of Houston. The suburbs can be very nice places. Sure, right? I mean, we have we have nice houses. We have you grew up with Thai food. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I didn't have pizza until I was in fifth or sixth grade. That's a fair point. <laughs> you know, so I think it's all a matter of. Uh, well, I had pers- square. I had square pizza. You had square pizza. There yeah, you go. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all a matter of perspective, right? I mean, you right. got guys. You could write songs about how miserable it is to grow up in a small town or how terrible it is to live inside like Murtry does that yeah absolutely I mean, Mur- I mean Murtry's half of his lyrical content from his first few albums is talking about like all the the bad things about small towns you yeah know? that's what he's writing about his perspective yeah. or that's the story the perspective he's chosen to take so you know it's not that suburbs are necessarily bad but for some people you know with what Neil's talking about like if you're you're a dreamer and you really want to fly your own way that's maybe not the best spot for you yeah and some, sometimes I, I think that when I hear that song, because I've heard that song so many times, uh, it, it was a regular on the playlist. Absolutely, uh, from Q one hundred two in Dallas growing up. It's a rock, yeah. It's a rock radio staple. Yeah, and so when that song would come on, um, I, I would try to sing along to it, but I didn't get all the words. Uh, and looking at this, there's, I mean, other than in the high school halls, in the shopping malls, I can sing along with that. Uh, the rest of it, it, it's complex. It is, yeah, really. A lot, a lot of complexity here. Uh, there's not, I mean, there, there's structure, but for just listening to it on the radio, and that's probably why people have a hard time understanding Rush. They have a hard time understanding why this band is so great. That's, there's probably some truth to that. This is not a uh, sing along. It's not band, well, but it is though. Well, I mean, sing along to it. Me. I sing along with it. Yeah, but I mean, just in, in the general overall arching, like the stuff that goes on the radio that everybody can wave their hands up in the air yeah. and sing along to. This is this is not that kind of song, and this is not that kind of band. Now they might have some. They definitely have some radio anthems. Sure, without question. But you know, we're just talking about what kind of band it is. You know? it, in, it very much in that Rush style vein, right? Uh, but listen, this is this is our our ten favorite albums. You're not going to find Leonard Skinner on here. Uh, you know, you're not you're not going to find ten favorite songs. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to find Leonard Skinner. Yeah, you're not. So. Uh, Gosh, that, that, that's a very deep song that I can't tell you how many times people have heard that on classic rock. 
that was probably came on after a Leonard Skinner song. You know, it went like Sweet Home Alabama and then and subdivisions. subdivisions. Yeah. Now and, subdivisions by Rush. Yeah. And, and then maybe Moody Blues, which don't even get me started. Don't even start. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it, there's more to it than you would think. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that about it. So, wow. Okay. Well, hey, that was my number two. That was my number one. Sorry. That was my number one, number one of all time. Are we down about to the very last song? This is it, man. Okay. You have the floor. This is the, the I, final track. I, I'm, I'm going to do a, a quick run through. We had Summerland from King's X, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska from 1989. We had Time, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon from 1973, and you and I shared that as one of our favorite songs. Your next selection was So What by Miles Davis from Kind of Blue from 1959. I had Deacon Blues from Steely Dan uh, on the Asia album in 1977. New Damage by Soundgarden from Bad Motor Finger in 1991 came next. 10,000 Days, Wings Part 2 by Tool from the 10,000 Days album, and that was in 2006. Bones by Radiohead from The Bends, 1995. My number two was Elephant by Jason Isbell from Southeastern in 2013. And your number one song of all time was Subdivisions from Signals in 1982. My favorite song of all time is 46 and 2 by Tool. And I have joked on here that I don't know how many times I've listened to my favorite songs. Uh, that is no, no more true uh, with any of these songs more so than 46 and 2. Now, if you thought I was being deep when I did 10,000 Days, when I did the 10,000 Days suite, buckle up, honey. Because 46 and 2 <laughs> is about to blow your socks off. There's a guy named Carl Jung who's a philosopher, a psychologist, psychiatrist, yeah. whatever, uh, that postulated, along with a New Age philosopher by the name of Dranvalo Melchizedek. Dranvalo Melchizedek. That really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? The Melchizedek is... I've been called that before. Uh, mostly that last part of that. The <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's no live audience. We need uh, a so, laugh track. <laughs> Carl Jung and, and, and Dranvalo Melchizedek had this concept that humans are currently in the process of evolving to the next stage of being a human. Currently, as we sit, we have 44 chromosomes. That's what makes a human a human. We have 44 chromosomes plus two. And the two determine if you're going to be a male or female. So you have 44 chromosomes plus XX or plus XY. XX, you're a girl. XY, you're a boy. That's where we are currently. The next stage of human development, we will have 46 chromosomes plus two. That is the song 46 and 2. Stylized words 46 ampersand and the number 2. 46 and 2. This song is about attaining the next level of human evolution. This is 46 and 2 by Tool. This is one of my absolute favorite all time Tool songs. Once again, this is my ringtone. This is Chancellor's first album with them. 
Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Chancellor came on the tour after this, uh, but this was the previous bass player, if, if I'm not mistaken. That really sounds like his plan. Except that it's it's a little more simple and not quite as complicated. Sure, sure. Yeah. Now I may be wrong. Maybe maybe Chancellor was on this one. I thought he came in after the recording and okay. went with the tour and was stayed with him. But it very well could have been. Maybe he was on this one and not on Undertow. Yes. He definitely wasn't on Undertow. They had a different bass player for that. You know what? I haven't listened to. He's on this on my notes, so maybe he was. I think he is, but yeah. I could be wrong. I mean, it sounds like him, right? It definitely does. He's going to say, my shadow's shedding skin. I've been picking scabs again. I'm down digging through my old muscles for a clue. He is literally describing shedding skin like a snake. Right. Changing. To go from one from one level of human to the next. Yeah, he's, he's peeling out. Yeah. Coming out of himself. Now, evolution, the evolutionary process takes hundreds, thousands, millennia takes a long time to to move from one to the next he is willing himself to the next phase in evolution that's a crazy concept it is right but carl jung and dronvalo melchizedek said that you could do this simply by being more in touch with this other astral well, plane and this was this was a theme of your uh deacon blues earlier the change. ability to just change yourself through yeah. through will alone if you will that's right yeah. that's right um which is which is weird you know that, that, that's kind of a weird thing for me to really like grab onto you definitely gravitated to it though yeah but but it's a high a high level sure, high sure. level concept that um changing you know he, he's talking about his shadow but that in deacon blues he was, he was also talking about that's his correct shadow. yeah yeah his shadow is shedding skin that's interesting for someone who's an atheist to talk about the next level of existence comes on a spiritual plane is, is weird. It, it is. It's uh, The irony is not lost on me. It's a lot of fun, though. Yeah, yeah. It makes for great lyrics. And so, to me, it's almost like Maynard is kind of... Re- he's rejecting the concept of what we know as elementary-style religion and getting more into, yeah, there's something else out there, but you haven't got... You haven't figured haven't it out evolved yet. enough to get there? Yeah, we, we don't know what it is. We can't, we can't figure out what that next level is until we evolve to the next thing. Gotcha. It just so happens that I'm one of the ones that are doing right. it. I'm doing it as we speak, yeah. Listen <laughs> that bass. It's one of the things that Tool does musically that I love so much is when they take an idea and just run with it, but continue to grow it and change it and just build upon it over and over and over again. Here's my credo for life. I choose to live and to grow, take and give and to move, learn and love and to cry, kill and die and to be paranoid and to lie, hate and fear and to do what it takes to move through. through, yeah. I... Choose to live and to lie. Kill and give and to die. Learn and love and do what it takes to step through. I talk so much about finding your 
finding your truth in life, to go out and grab that thing, to experience life as much as you can. You've got to find your life's work, as Mike Reiner from The Ticket in Dallas said it best in his retirement speech. But he was taking Chuck Knoll from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was taking right. his. And so the concept of going out and finding your life's work is something that really speaks to me. Sure. Well, what Maynard is saying here is that there's no way for you to understand life, existence, until you try all of it from all sides. And at that point, once you have done that, once you have lived and died, once you have killed and lied, and once you have moved, then at that point, you can move to the next layer of human existence, which is the 46 and 2. Then you can pull your skin off. Yeah. Yeah. Adam Jones' guitar part here is amazing. The way he plays those notes so expressively. And my favorite part of this whole song is the very end. This is the new pulse. Right now your pulse goes... Listen to the new pulse. Ready? Hear it? Yeah, I gotcha. And he ends. And then again. And we're ended here. Out. <laughs> what a, I love that song. That is it's such an just. A, and I never listened to the lyrics like that before, obviously. But musically, just the way it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds to this huge crescendo at the end, just with this that angsty, mm. like, just that power. And but it started off so gentle. Yeah, he just moves all the through it. Way he through. even yeah. says, "Join in, join in." Yeah, the, the, the lyrics at the beginning are almost you almost can't hear. Them. Yeah, so, so. yeah. Well, he whispered. He really yeah. does whisper. You know, the good, he, he's taking the whole like burying himself in the mix to like a whole other level there, right? Like he's actually yeah. below everybody. I mean, you yeah. really got to listen for him. And but as he grows, they grow. The song just gets more, more tense. There's more emotion as his lyrics get more emotional, and like they all, they all just grow to this thing together. This new being, yeah, this new existence. Like, it, the the song know? just progresses along with his, with what he's doing, and it's right. it's. it's, it's it's a work of art, really. You know, the video for this creates a hideous being. It's a, it's a, it's grotesque looking. You know, it's very Adam Jones, and uh, again with that, uh, with that Tim Burton style. You know, the very macabre, very, very right. creepy looking thing. Uh, and so the next, the next plane of existence has this thing to us looks extremely looks awful. It looks sickening, scary. Yeah, um, but that's because we're below it. Right, we're below it, and we're looking up at it. it. It has evolved past us, and so this new thing is this new creature that has whatever characteristics that we can't possibly comprehend. Very interesting. Yeah, I like it. This has been fun. This has been fun. Yeah, we've got a uh, we've got a long road ahead of us as we start documenting. Uh, the album's in-depth. We appreciate you so much for sticking with us. Uh, I, I know that this has been a, a little bit of a, uh, a journey through a bunch of songs that don't really match together, right? It's an interesting playlist, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, especially if you, you just scramble it and listen to it while you're just at your desk or driving around or whatever, and you go from Tool to 
Deacon Blues. I mean, yeah. very few people would have those two songs on their playlist. Talking it, Heads. I mean, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of weird there, stuff. There. There's a lot of, especially, yeah, if you take them out of context and if you just were to hand somebody this playlist or let's make it an old reference, let's say you made somebody a mixtape yeah. with these songs on it. And somebody said, they're like, okay, this is me. Here's my music. Check it out. Like, the hell is this crap? This is insane. Who put this list together? <laughs> but but again, it's what we like. Yeah, you know. So well, the, these are our favorite 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 songs. Favorite songs. Absolutely. Uh, this, this has been a rundown of of our top ten favorite songs, so that you, the listener, can understand uh, some of the uh, the taste that we have. Uh, when we come back, when we are here next time, we will be taking a full album from cover from from the edge straight to the center, uh, and we'll be talking about that album uh, in, in great detail, very much like we've done here with these individual songs. Thank you so much for being here. I am Michael, that's Jason, and we appreciate you stopping by our favorite albums. Thanks for hanging with us.